Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Sarah Fenske. Fifty-five years ago tomorrow, state troopers in Selma, Alabama, brutally attacked protesters who had gathered on the Edmund Pettus Bridge. They used bullwhips, billy clubs, and tear gas. A protester named John Lewis was one of many to suffer injuries, in his case, a fractured skull. Lewis, of course, would later be elected to Congress. And just before that, in 1985, he reflected at length on the events in Selma for an interview with documentary filmmakers. That march will not Well, I had no idea that we would be beaten, that we would be trampled or, or tear gas. I thought we all would be arrested and jailed. But you come to that point, and I think it's very much in keeping with the philosophy and the discipline of nonviolence, that in spite of the fears, uh, the misgiving, or the reservations you may have, uh, you tend to lose that sense of fear, uh, and you keep your eyes on the prize. And that is now Congressman John Lewis reflecting on the events in Selma 55 years ago. And that interview would be featured in Eyes on the Prize. It's a remarkable 14-part documentary series. It debuted on PBS stations in two phases in 1987 and 1990. All the interviews that filmmakers conducted for that massive project are now housed right here in St. Louis at Washington University. And here to explain the reason for that and how you can spend time with them is Nadia Goss. She is an associate university librarian at Washington University Libraries. Nadia, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. So this archive of interviews sounds just amazing. How did it end up in St. Louis? So Henry Hampton was actually a St. Louis native. He uh, grew up in Richmond Heights right there on the uh, near the intersection of Laclede Station and Bruno. His, his uh, family home is still there. His father was a surgeon with the Homer G. Phillips mm. Hospital. And uh, he went to SLU High and then went on to Washington University. So his roots were in St. Louis. In uh, 1968, he had found himself in Boston, and he established the largest independently owned African-American production company of its time, Black Side Inc. So many thought um, that this collection may reside in Boston. However, after his passing in 1998, different institutions across the country vied for this, this archive because of its immense research and historical value. And it came to St. Louis ultimately, I think, because of those initial roots in St. Louis, but also because of Washington University's dedication to ensuring that the collection would be made accessible and that a lot of uh, efforts would be put into doing the types of projects we have been able to pursue by making these interviews available online. So was his estate um, deciding where this ended up? So um, Blackside Inc. was a for-profit production company, and they had a a nonprofit sister company called the Civil Rights Project Inc. And so the archive was property of their nonprofit arm. And so it was a longtime friend and chairman of that uh, organization, Bob Holler, who ultimately made the decision. And we competed against world-class cultural heritage institutions. And we were, you know, of course, so thrilled that the collection came here. And it's been almost 20 years since it's been at Washington University. So when we talk about a 14-part documentary series, especially back in the day before we had all these Netflix things, mm-hmm. you know, going on for hours, I mean, that had to have been so much material. What did Washington University get when it got this archive? So the le- as legend has it, I was not there at the time that it was, in the end, four tractor trailer loads of material. Whoa! So a ton of stuff. And what sets Hampton and Blackside apart from many other filmmakers 
was the unprecedented amount of research they conducted. Mm. So they amassed a ton of material. So, you know, you have the the firsthand accounts via the interviews, which were largely produced on uh, motion picture film. Mm. So uh, those have many different stages, many different elements that are produced. So one one hour-long interview might actually have boxes of material because of, there's the camera negative, there's the answer prints, the work prints. Film uh, was a lot more complicated. Yes, film was more complicated. And also within that material was all the stock footage they gathered. So when they're making a documentary of uh, historical events, they wanted to have actual footage from those events. And what Blackside did, they scoured news stations across mm. um, the South. And what we have come to learn is at times we have the best surviving copy of that footage because the news station might have gotten rid of it. So we might have the only account anymore uh, of certain uh, footage. And we've been approached by other documentary filmmakers who have said, you know, CBS they, they can't find they this. They can't find their own. You, but we know it was in Eyes on the Prize. Do you have a copy? And we'll actually have a 16-millimeter copy. Now, John Lewis, such a key figure in the civil rights movement, such a big deal. What are some of the other voices and, and people who are in these um, interviews? So there is nearly, with between Eyes 1 and Eyes 2, uh, nearly 300 interviews conducted. Wow. So it is the we do the full range, you know, uh, Coretta Scott King from very recognizable household names to maybe less familiar uh, names like Charles Sherrod, for example, who was really involved in the, the Albany movement in Georgia. So one thing that Hampton really set out to do with this series was to also give voice to many of the unsung heroes. So it wasn't just the Martin Luther Kings. There was people that dedicated their lives to these movements, particularly in Selma, that were lesser known. And uh, I'll tell a little bit of an anecdote of what even inspired Hampton to produce Eyes on the Prize. He, in 1965, was in Boston and was working for the um, the Unitarian Universalists. And after Bloody Sunday, uh, as we many of us are, are aware, Martin Luther King set out the call to clergy, to the Unitarians, to send people for what is now known as Turnaround Tuesday. Mm. On uh, March 9th, they were going to in response to the violence that occurred on Bloody Sunday, try again. So, uh, and this lifted the spirits of so many of the, the local folks in, in Selma that all these people were coming from across the country to support them and uh, their 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 fight for uh, equality. So, uh, Hampton was there on that Tuesday. Wow! And uh, he went down to Selma. He, he was in Selma on uh, Turnaround Tuesday, and you know they they they. What he didn't witness that violence that occurred the the days before. However, just seeing what he saw and and hearing the stories and seeing the aftermath really inspired him to someday tell this story. He knew there was a film there. Yes, he knew. He knew there was a very very big story. And uh, this episode that covers Bloody Sunday and Eyes on the Prize is the last episode of the first part of the series. And it's it's in a the whole hour is dedicated to the the Selma movement because of how pivotal and it was in the civil rights movement. Hmm. Now, you mentioned that part of the reason Washington University got these materials is because the university was dedicated to getting them um, available to the public. So what has that looked like? So uh, currently, you can read the transcripts and view the complete interviews. It's over 75 hours of content from the first six episodes on the web at digital.wustl.edu. You can go there, you uh, completely so uh, you, you free You don't resource. need a credential. You can you just go to this site anyone, and, and yeah. stream this stuff. Yes, exactly. And anyone can go and watch. Also, anyone is always uh, welcome 
at Washington University Libraries to any of our events, to any to see any of our exhibitions. We are completely open to the public. Um, but in to go back a little bit, in 2011, we were awarded a grant from the Mellon Foundation to actually preserve the interviews from the, the first six episodes because they were entirely edited on film, completely inaccessible. Mm. Because if you think about it, you know, you're sitting down with someone for at least an hour, maybe two. You're making a six-hour 14-hour series, you you can't use everything they say, but there's a lot of rich history in what's there. So what we've been able to do is preserve that entire interview, reassemble it with the outtakes that didn't make it to the final and make those available on the web. We are currently, uh, with ge the generous um, grant from the National Endowment for the Humanities, digitizing all the nearly 200 interviews that were conducted for the second part of the series. Uh, and we're digitizing those and getting those online. So, so that work continues. Yes. Oh, yes. It's never ending. Um, I'm going to actually go to the phone lines. We have a caller. Um, Eric is calling from St. Louis who has a, a question for you. Oh, great. Um, Eric, hi. You're on St. Louis on the air. Hi. Thanks for having uh, Nadia on and telling the story of this, one of the jewels in the crown in St. Louis and at Washington University, in my view. Just, I've had the pleasure of touring the facility and uh, like to see if uh, they're still giving tours so people can uh, uh, have the pleasure that I had. And I uh, just want to say this is, this is just a great opportunity for people to understand what some of the jewels we have here. And it's another great jewel at Washington University. Eric, so thank you so that much. Work. Yeah, that's that's such a great testimonial from somebody who's done the tour. That's, yeah, wonderful. Thank you so much, Eric. Uh, I really appreciate that. We um, often, one of our goals is that at least everyone, we would love everyone in St. Louis to know that the collection is there. <laughs> we're we're going to do our yes, part today. Yes, yes, I appreciate <laughs> that greatly. And of course, we always welcome members of the community. You know, if you want to come learn more about it, see any of the collection, we, we welcome outside researchers. We do field trips if people are interested. Um, oh, wow. And, so and this we, is open for tours. Oh, yes, yes. Um, you know, we can arrange certain we can customize things if you're particular in a certain subject. We have we have other strong collections in our uh, St. Louis history. We have the ACLU of Missouri's papers. So we have a lot of uh, complementary collections and a lot of materials that deal with civil rights. And should people just reach out then through that website that yes, you mentioned? Yes, you can always contact any of um, the special collection staff or a given curator. We have, we have six curators that oversee different collecting areas. And we can always talk to you and... and make plans. Well, that's great. Well, I'm so glad Eric thought to call with yes, that question. Thank you, Eric. I, I didn't even, I was not aware you did tours. So that's awesome. Um, so going back to John Lewis, who we started our program with, this past Sunday, he made a surprise appearance at the 50th annual commemorative march in Selma. I want to um, play a snippet from CNN's coverage of him talking to the crowd. Speak out. Speak out. Get in the way. Get in good trouble. Good trouble. Trevor and help redeem the soul of America. Thank each and every one of you. I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to give in. I'm going to continue to fight. We need your prayers now more than ever before. Let's do it. And that is Congressman John Lewis uh, calling for people to get into the good kind of trouble there. Um, Nadia, all the hours that you have spent going through these archives and working on their preservation, what's a particular interview or moment that stood out to you? That's a great question. I think um, one one thing that I always 
go back to, and I have a soft spot for the Charles Sherrod interview. And I think because we use that as a pilot for a lot of our um, uh, work through for workflow with the preservation. And it, this was part of an interview that did not, it did not make it into the final, but he is talking about the violence in Albany and Lori Pritchard and talks about uh, some of the the horrific things that occurred that uh, protesters faced. And it just kind of is a testament to, to how important these interviews are in reminding us of, of the struggles people have, have faced in looking for equality. And we have an election coming up on Tuesday. And this is a, a, a great thing to reflect upon when you see what what people have undergone and what they have fought for in order to uh, have the have a right <laughs> to exercise their rights. So even if uh, maybe you don't see yourself as a political person, but really understanding and appreciating one's uh, right to mm -hmm. vote and having a better understanding of how even just uh, being given that right doesn't mean there aren't methods for suppressing that right. And that's really what the Selma movement was all about. Um, and that's a great yeah. takeaway in, in yeah. this political moment. So so for people who want more information about this, uh, give us that website again. So if you want to see the interviews online, that's digital.wustl.edu. So that's W-U-S-T-L.edu. And um, you'll be able to link from there to our the Film and Media Archive and learn more about our special collections. And we will also put that on our website, which is stlpublicradio.org, a link to that. So I hope people will check this out. So Nadia uh, Gossidi, mm -hmm. Associate University Librarian at Washington University Libraries, thank you so much for joining us thank today. Thank you so much. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to conservation and careful management of the state's forests to make them more resilient and better habitats for wildlife. Choosewood.com.